thank you for joining us for another episode of Connections Cafe. Today on the podcast, we have Senior Vice President of Production for Bellator MMA. Mike, is, am I saying your, uh, your name right? Uh, Sarnowski. Sarnowski. Okay. So, Mike, why don't you give us a little bit of background and about you, how you got to where you're at, what you studied, that kind of stuff. Sure. So, uh, currently, um, Vice President of uh, Production at Bellator MMA. Uh, which is a Viacom-owned property. Um, I say that because I've been at Bellator for the last nine years. And prior to that, I had pretty much run the gamut of, of production at, at Viacom, uh, mainly MTV Network. So I did many years at MTV. Uh, I did a lot of, you know, the MTV spring break stuff and rock and jocks and all that kind of stuff. Then I moved over, I wound up doing, uh, went to Nickelodeon and I did Nickelodeon for like 11 years. Um, so then I jumped from from SpongeBob to cage fighting, which is a, a pretty rare transition. I went awesome over. though. Yeah, it, it was awesome. You know what? At Nickelodeon, I had done all the on-air stuff. So I was working with like Drake and Josh and, you know, Miranda Cosgrove and all those guys. And um, when, when I had left Nickelodeon, uh, an old MTV contact of mine called me and said, hey, I remember how much you loved MMA. Are you familiar with Bellator? And I said, I am. And currently they were on MTV2. Um, they have a small distribution deal on MTV2. So I said, yeah, I actually am familiar with it. I, I watch it whenever I can because it, it's free. And they said, look, they're trying to beef up their production team. They don't really have anybody over there. Would you mind consulting with them? So I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm more than happy to do that. So I went over, I consulted with them for about two months. They right away were like, look, if you know, we'd love to bring you on full time. So I jumped on, 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 on board with them and basically tried to put the production team that we have now, put that into place and uh, off we went. And uh, you know, I've grown a ton with them. The production has grown a ton with them and Bellator, especially since, since Scott Co- Coker took over has really kind of blown up. So uh, for me, it was, I, I won't say it was a risk but it was definitely kind of out of my comfort zone to, to take a chance and go with those guys. But it's turned out to be uh, an unbelievable payoff for me. And if I wasn't such a big fan of the sport, I, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. So that, that's kind of where I'm at. So let's back up a little bit. How did you get started for that huge networks? A lot of the, the networks that I grew, kind of grew up on, right? Like MTV, Nickelodeon, that kind of. What did you study? How did you get into this? Did you work from the ground up? Were you sweeping up and someone was like, get that guy in management? What, what was what was the story? How do people break in? Yeah, so you know what? So for me, in, cl- in high school, I took TV classes, and my junior and senior year back then, I I took these courses, and for me, they were they were a lot of fun, right? I was like, this is great. This is, you know, I'm not doing math, I'm not learning Spanish, I'm actually like creating content and um, running around with a camera. So for me, uh, as soon as I left high school, I I had a pretty firm grasp on what I wanted to do. And I went to school down south. I went to Lynchburg College down in Virginia and I majored in broadcast journalism. I actually doubled up and then I, I also took applied communications as well. And for me then I write I write right then I went into sports television. You know, my internship was a, was a, I was a PA announcer doing college games. My my major I was constantly in the edit room running around with a camera all over campus. So when I, by the time I got out of college, I was all in on TV. I knew pretty much what I wanted to do. Now, I say that because you don't necessarily need to do that to get into TV, right? A lot of it is about timing and who you know. And for me, both kind of come into play. Like, not only did I have the background and some knowledge and the the drive, but I also had known people who were already in television. So when I got out of of school the first summer, I didn't do anything. I was in no rush to go, you know, to to get into television, really. I wanted to, I lived at the beach. I wanted to just kind of like, you know, 
stay home and, and work and make some money and hang out with my friends. And I live about 90 miles south of New York City. So I had a good friend of mine who was working at CBS and he was a CBS page. And I don't know if you know what a page is, but every network has one, uh, has a, a page department. And what it is, is it's basically young and hungry professionals who are coming in, they're making minimum wage and they put on like the blazer. So, you know, for me, I wore like the black CBS blazer with the eye, the CBS eye on it. And I worked on shows like the David Letterman show. I worked on Geraldo Rivera and Joan Rivers and CBS sports, you know, on, on their weekend sports show. So I wound up basically, you're kind of like a, a floater in the network. And the great thing about that job is if, if you make an impression in any given department that you're working, someone is, sooner or later, they're going to have a job that needs to be filled and they, they, they've seen you and they trust you and they don't have to go pecking through resumes and all that kind of stuff. So if you're there and you're, you're present, generally that would lead to a job within CVS. And that's exactly what happened for me. So just to go back real quick, I did not, fortunately for me, I was not shopping my resume around. I didn't have to really knock on a whole lot of doors. I had a friend on, on the inside who called me and said, Hey, the page program is looking for somebody. You come up tomorrow for an interview. And I, and I actually said, no, I was like, nah, I'm in no rush. And my mom and dad caught wind of that. And they were like, you're out of your mind. You're going. And I went and they off, sure enough, they offered me a job and I, I never looked back. So I moved into the city and I was at CBS sports for about four years. Uh, I worked on the NFL today and I did a lot of March madness, a lot of their studio shows. And uh, again, my college roommate being a friend in the business, coincidentally was at MTV. And he called me and said, Hey, listen, you know, we need someone to work at MTV sports. Dennis Rodman, we had given him a show called the Rodman World Tour. And they were looking for, for an extra production guy. And I was like, I, I would love to, to leave CBS and go do you know the MTV stuff. So I went, interviewed, and got hired there, luckily. And that was really kind of where I, where I took off. And, and I will say that I work with a lot of people who were broadcast journalism majors like myself. I also work with a lot of people who were English majors or bio majors. And when they got out of college, they were like, I don't want to do anything in, that, in those fields. And it's all about who you know and your timing and, and and they're working in TV today. So TV is one of those funny businesses, man. It's it's all about personality. And if you can click with the right people um, and you work hard, you have, you'll have longevity in, in, in this, in this, in the TV world for sure. And you know what, that, that to me was like uh, the page, the page department is, I, I talk to a lot of families now who are like, Hey, my, my son or my daughter, they want to get into television. What do you recommend? And, and I recommend, to everyone, you know, go knock on, on those doors, go to the networks and, and apply for a job in the page program, because not only is there great opportunity for you once you're in, but everyone is the same age. They're all pretty much have the same, they're cut from the same mold, you know, right. to a degree. And it's almost like a fifth year of college. You go, you're hanging out with everybody who kind of has the same vision, the same energy, and you wind up making a lot of friends. And to this day, you know, I still have friends in this business that I was pages with back in the 90s at CBS. So, you know, I, I would say that the success rate is, is very high if you can get in there um, and you want to stay in television, you, you can probably survive pretty well by, by going that route. That sounds like a fun experience. It sounds like a fraternity, to be honest. It, um, it is. You know, you listen, you're working every day. I mean, look, my, my daily routine was I, I would show up at the page office in the morning. We would check our assignments. And I would go work at CBS News or CBS, uh, or, or at 60 Minutes or 48 Hours, right? All 48 Hours News, all, all, I'm sorry, all CBS News shows. I would go work for them like for four hours in the morning. And then at three in the afternoon, everybody would leave those offices and they would go put on their blazer and they would show up at the, at the Late Show with David Letterman. 
and we would, you know, we would all be laughing and having a good time and working with the audience and the celebrities on the show. And then when it was done, we'd wind up going to the bar next door and have a couple beers. And most of us lived in New York and on weekends we hung out together. It, it was, it really was like a fifth year of college or almost like a, you know, your own little social group or fraternity. It, it was without a doubt, probably, you know, my fondest years in TV were those first couple of years. That's awesome. So yeah. connected dots, you had a passion for MMA. Um, had an interest in production and television, and you were a hard worker. Is there any other component that someone would, would need to possess in order to follow your career path in television? So, so for me, right, per, television in general, I mean, look, it's a pretty wide field if you really think about it. You know, there's everything from the creative side, which is the side that I'm on, right? Making, you know, we create content and we do live production. But even on the live production side, there's production management, which is dealing with, you know, the money. There's operations, there's art design and set design. And then we've got all of our tech crew. So, you know, it depends on where you land on what side of production you really kind of want to go. But there are a ton of different avenues. So for me, I'll be honest with you, if, you, if, if someone were to follow my path, I consider myself a pretty creative guy. Like as, as, as long as I've been in the business now, which is going on god i started in 93 so you know i'm going on 30 years almost 27 years in, in tv my thing has always been being creative i'm a creative mm -hmm. guy and even as as far up the management ladder that i've gotten i've never been comfortable throwing on you know a suit and crossing my arms and standing in the back of a mobile unit or in, in a you know on a set I am still wanting to run around, put a headset on and pick up a camera. And, you know, I love, I still write scripts and, I'm, and I'm, I still like to cut some stuff. So for me, it's always having my hands in that creative pot. And I think that has led to my longevity as well, because I've created a bit of a niche for me. I'm kind of an older guy in a young guy's game, but I have not, I haven't thrown away my creative chops and decided to just be a manager if you will so for me it's like stay active stay creative and find something that you truly love like i could have stayed at nickelodeon forever i, I really enjoyed that but i was much more on the management side you know for me mma in 1993 ufc1 i remember watching that in my apartment you know working at cbs news at that time and i watched ufc1 and i was like oh my god like i don't know what this is but it's it's amazing and i can't wait for the next one and now you know UFC's, you know, they've done two and a half hundred shows and Bellator's coming up on Bellator 245. So the sport has has grown a lot. And for me, I it was something that I just, if I wasn't working, I'm a huge sports guy anyway. But for me, MMA was that great escape on a Saturday night. I could pay my 50 bucks and I could sit back with a very small core group of friends who really appreciated the sport and love it. And when this opportunity came, I was like, wow, I can actually make a living still do TV and do it while producing live MMA events, which is something that I've always been like unbelievably in love with. So a lot of that is luck. You know, a lot of that is, is connecting with the right people along the way and then finding something that you can actually take that take something you love and apply it to what you do professionally. For me, I, I mean, it's a very unique path and I don't know that a whole lot of people would, would be able to take that route per se, but if you can, you're, you're a very, very lucky person. What are some of the more common misconceptions people have about your your day-to-day, -day, your your position, your career in working for Bellator or working in MMA in general? 
sounds like a lot of people probably ask you for advice and do they typically have something in common that they're expecting anything like that well you know what for me it's i think mma is almost when you look at when you look at the job itself working in mma is almost secondary to working in live sports right ideally it's live sports mm-hmm. that's what we're doing we're putting on a live event with with athletes and and the guys that i work with on any given show like i have a show coming up in mohegan sun in two weeks and we're going to show up with about 80 freelancers and that's you know tech guys camera crew production you name it it's production management it's about 80 different people and and i would say about 50 of those people work bellator mma is one of their their many projects right these are freelance production guys who do they do nfl nba mlb they do nascar they do college football some do ufc they do showtime boxing so it's live sports primarily Right. If you want to jump in this arena, you're a live sports guy per se. And if you're working in MMA, you know, I don't know that MMA is all that different than any other sport, really. Right. It's the same pieces of the puzzle. At the end of the day, you're 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 basically you're, you're setting up an event, you're recording the action. And when it comes to athletes and live television, all you can do is sit back and you just sit back and watch. You just have to take it in and capture it. You can't miss it. But it's really, it's it's them now. Once the athletes take over, you're at their mercy. They're the entertainers, right? It's not us. We're not scripted. We're not setting anything up. Aside from the room, these guys walk in, the, da- the, the cage door closes, the bell rings, and now it's up to those guys. So we have many events where, you know, people are like, and maybe this is like, maybe this will answer your question as far as like misconceptions. People are like, wow, MMA, it's so cool, right? It's great. I'm like, yeah, it is because I, because I truly love MMA. But I will tell you that there are many events that I will go to or I will work and we'll put up four or five fights in a night. And sometimes you get one good fight and the other three or four are complete duds. They're just guys wrestling on the ground, bad outcomes. You know, you get a couple eye pokes, a couple nut shots, the clock's running, you're, you're stretching time, you're going over, you know, you're supposed to be off the air at midnight, you're going to 12, 10, 12, 15, and the action has been fairly disappointing. That happens from time to time. So it's not always great action. I would say that's maybe one in four shows. You know, the other three shows, you've got great action. And maybe two to the first two fights are, you know, they're okay. And then the last two fights are just phenomenal. And in and in those within those live events, the great thing about MMA is that stories start to be told, right? Or they're carried on careers. As you follow a career, there's a storyline with each fighter. You know, whether it's a guy who came from nothing or he fought for his, his mother who passed away at a young age or he was a college wrestler who really wanted to be a professional athlete. And because he wrestled at such a high level, he now has an opportunity where he can go be a professional athlete and make good money. And next thing you know, he's, you know, the American wrestling. He's outperforming guys who have black belts in jujitsu and, and strikers and kickboxers. And that's a storyline in itself. So the, the great thing about MMA is the athletes themselves. Everyone's got a story. And once, like I said, once that bell rings, we just have to capture it all. That's our job. Just capture the action. And and that's pretty special. And I, the same thing can be said for football, baseball, all of those things. But again, it's really live sports. MMA is just a very um, unique corner of that, of that world. Yeah, I, I'd say it, it's very unique. You were mentioning earlier that you are a very creative person and you try and maintain that spirit about you. How much creativity do you license you have when you're producing something do you try and develop someone's storyline or do you engage your audience in that manner we've yeah. all seen the 30 minute shows leading up to the fight and 
at the beginning, you don't know these guys. You can't even tell them apart. By the end of it, you're rooting for one of them as if as if it's your brother or something. Yeah. Well, you're right. So, you know, we, we, from time to time, and we did it a lot more when we were with Spike TV, you know, we did a lot of those countdown shows of the 24 seven style, like short docuseries shows, like you're talking about, where you can, you know, really tell stories and feed an audience some storylines. So they're invested come the live event. That, that is always one way for, for us, our bread and butter for me, when it comes to the creativity, there's, there's basically two things. Number one, there's the room, right? So we can go into an arena and we can dress it with We've got monitors all over, and in those monitors, we're rolling content. A lot of those are hype videos or they're promos. But again, we're trying to gain the audience, the audience's attention with those videos, right? When every fighter walks in, when they make their entrance to the cage, there's going to be about two minutes of fanfare for every fighter. So when they walk in, I'm talking TV primarily on the, on the uh, prelims, we, we just kind of, we stuff fighters. We go one after the other. But when we get to TV, we really take our time. And, and what we always tell our guys, like new guys who come in in production, for us, we're like, listen, we don't have a whole lot of time, right? So let's just say it's a two-hour show. We, we have about 20 minutes in that show to, to be creative. The rest mm-hmm. of it is, it's up to the fighters. They fight, like I was saying earlier. So we have, we, we create videos for every guy when they walk out. So they're going to get about a two-minute roll of high-end graphics and text treatment with their highlights, hero shots, all of these really cool visuals for every guy when he walks out. So th- we do one for every one of those. So you got eight, eight miniature stories visually that you're gonna tell that grab the audience and really put that fighter on a hero platform. We try to treat our fighters as if they're heroes, right? So that guy walks out, he's walking down the cage, his, his, his story is playing behind him and the audience is feeding into it, kind of like a WWE, WWF style kind of vibe. Those guys go in, they get greased at the cage, right? It's that signature moment before a guy goes in and does battle. And then he, you know, he hugs his guys and he waves to the crowd and he goes in, he stomps the mat and then he gets announced. So that is, that's us. That is us creatively building the tension and the storyline to the opening bell. The other thing that we do is when we get to our co-main or main events, depending on how many fights we have in a night, we generally will carve out some time to do features on fighters. So if it's a big fight, you, you can bet there's going to be probably a two-minute story that that gives you almost you know, like what you were saying before. You know, you would watch before an event, you'd get that 24-7 style feel. We would do that in two minutes. We'd give you a two-minute feature, talks about, you know, where you came from, what you do, maybe why this fight is important to you. Um, you know, you're coming off a loss or you're fighting for a title or you're defending your title. You're changing a weight class. Whatever it may be, we will take those two minutes and get creative in how we can tee that fighter up for the audience. So live sports, yes, it's a lot of live, uh, live activity. However, you got to really be smart and take advantage of the small window that you have to be creative and tell stories. And that's what we try to do. So kind of a, a random question on this topic. Do you think that, that fighters realize the opportunity they have when, when they're doing their walkouts? Do you think that they know to maximize this time? I, I just ask because I see a lot of fighters just very stoic walking up to the octagon. Maybe some of them will run. You have others that do a little bit more, but a lot of it does fall on the production. Yeah. So you're right. I, I think you're dead on. So there's definitely a divide. There are some fighters who call me personally, they email me personally, and they're like, hey, what can we do for my next video? They're totally mm-hmm. invested in that moment. Right. They think about it. They're coming up with their, they're sending me their music early and they're asking us to create different versions of that music. And they'll be like, Hey, I got my own personal shooter. I'm going to go out tomorrow. I'm going to run 
you know, the Grand Canyon, and I'm going to come back with this beautiful drone footage. Can you put that in there? We get those requests, and we and we and we try to work closely with fighters who who want to take it to the next level. If you don't have that request, we will still create a great package for you. Okay. But like you just said, there are many guys who I, I won't say they're unaware. I just think that they're it's missed opportunities for them because every fighter is their own brand, right? You mentioned yeah. Michael Chandler. Michael Chandler is a guy that uh, I've been pretty close with now since he he won his belt uh, from Eddie Alvarez back back in the day, Bellator Fifty Six, I think it was. That is a guy who takes pride in his own brand. Every day he's on, he's pounding social media with positivity and reaching out to the fans and new messages and pro. He's all about family and and he's a company guy. He sells mm -hmm. the company, and when it's his time to fight, you can bet your bottom dollar that the, the fan base is well aware of who he is and how important this fight is for him because he's been telling that story. So when he walks out on that that stage and he makes his walk that video that's playing behind him and that music there's been so much attention it's been so thought out for him because it's part of the brand so many guys just show up hey here's my music they send the music and we go off on our own and we create stuff and you can tell someone just sprint to the cage it's just their thing they're not worried about all the fanfare they just want to get there and fight right they're not even listening to music we 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 have guys who walk out and they give us their fighter music and we play their track with this really cool video and they have headphones in their ears. They're not even yeah. listening to that music. <laughs> so it, I guess, you know, every guy is different, but I do believe that a lot of guys miss a major opportunity to maximize that, that two minutes of, of hype before you fight. And I will say that Michael Chandler, Eddie Alvarez fights, those are what MMA is all about. Like I love every single one of those fights. Those should be in a time capsule that aliens can find later and you're right all of the all of the social contents all of his efforts really do culminate at that one moment at his walkout you really do feel that excitement for someone like michael chandler what advice would you give to someone who is in a professional career already but desperately wants to join the the mma industry not as a fighter right um so here are, are you asking for a friend caesar <laughs> <laughs> Look, unfortunately, I, I think to make any sort of transition, I don't care if you want to be a, a police officer to a teacher or if you want to work in software and, and, and get in the MMA game, um, again, not as a fighter, but if you want to work in that in that world, I, I think age is a big thing, right? I, I, once you get to a certain age, you're, you're, you're so kind of stuck. It's a tough word, but you're stuck in that lane that getting out and getting into another lane is, is difficult. So if, if you're still young, and, and I say young, if you're still like, you know, mid thirties or below, you know, look, our world now is so driven by multi-platform media, right? If you have the slightest bit of knowledge, as far as social media goes, you, you can probably come on, like we've got guys who work on our social media team. And, you know, I got a guy who was like, yeah, I was a, you know, I was a DJ or I was an Uber driver just a couple of years ago, but they're big into social media. And they're good with a camera because that's just how that generation is kind of geared, right? So those guys have broken in because they knew somebody. Yeah, you always, unfortunately, you gotta kind of know somebody. But they knew somebody, and next thing you know, now these guys, a couple of years in, they're running around with cameras and they're pumping out content, you know, by by the by the bucketful every single show. We can't on the production side, we can't keep up with those guys. You know, we got we shoot a live event, we bring it back, we gotta load all the media and share it and then cut it down and 
prep for the next show. These guys are telling stories every 10 minutes. They got something new. So the social media, multi-platform content, that's really where it's at. And I think you can break in on that side if you, if you at least know somebody anywhere, including MMA. Production and operations and production management, that's, that's a little bit different. A lot of these yeah. people, you, generally these people have in-depth backgrounds. They've been doing it for a while. I want to compliment Bellator for the production value, for what the the actual venue looks like when it's showtime. There is just something about the the artificial uh, excitement that the company really invests into, and it's everything from like the large large screens to sometimes the pyrotechnics to the extra time they give to each fighter or platform they put them on, all that kind of stuff. It really, really makes that experience that much, that much better. Yeah. Well, thank you. I, I will say, I think that when we, when I came on back in 2011, for me, I, I remember thinking like, look, the most, the, the most important part of this product are the fighters, right? So mm-hmm. we got to, that's really the, that's, that's the bloodline of the company. It's not necessarily the show or the events per se, but it's the fighters that come and, and, and fight. So for me, it was like, look, how can we build around them? And I didn't come up with this all on my own. You know, I had, I had a guy named Scott Fishman that I worked with for years at, at Viacom and he happened to be here. So I kind of joined forces with him. But, you know, a lot of us shared this vision of like, let's really kind of take the live events to another level. And when Scott Coker came, you know, he had done a lot of, fights over in, in Asia and, and you know he had done the strike force thing and he's a mixed martial artist mixed martial artist himself so his vision too was like hey we really got to sell the fighters we need to add production value and, and make it an experience not just for the people at home but for the people who pay for the tickets and you know the, all the butts that we put in seats we want them to come back so while they're sitting there and while there might not be action in the cage we want to make sure that when you're in the arena and you're waiting for that next fight that there's enough going on that keeps you wanting to come back. And look, the UFC, they do a, they do a good job too, but I do think that our in-house our in-house entertainment and the and the and the production value that we put around the fights within a one show, I think is we're we're a little ahead of those guys in that respect. And granted, Definitely. those guys have big names and we know that they're the industry leader and that's great. You know, so we had to work a little harder to to add the value. And I think we've done that. So thank you. I have one last question. There are actually two questions you can choose. Can you teach us something in the next four minutes? And the second question is, is there any one memorable moment in your career? Oh boy. It could um, be, it doesn't have to be about production, MMA. It'd be just a random fact you saw underneath a Snapple bottle or something. Right, right, right. How about this? Let me, let me answer the second one. Um, just because I'm feeling a lot of pressure with that first one. <laughs> and if uh, somehow I come up with something in the back of my mind while I'm, while I'm answering question number two, I'll, I'll give you a bonus. So memorable moment. So, okay, so I, I'm going to go back away from MMA and I'm going to go back to the Nickelodeon days. I worked for a, Nickelodeon had a digital channel platform called Nick Gas. And it was games and sports, G-A-S. So Nick Gas, games and sports for kids. And we basically, what we did was we took kids and we put them on the professional playing field. So we showed up at, and this was all based on, we had built relationships. We had partnerships with MLB, NFL, PGA, NASCAR, you name it. We had some sort of major league partner. And what they allowed us to do was to take a camera and a kid and show up at a World Series, at a Super Bowl, at a training camp, an all-star game, 
if we wanted to be there with a camera, they made a place for us. Okay. So now I worked at CBS sports for a while and I worked at MTV sports. So back at CBS, it was like, you know, that was like your father's sports television, your grandfather's sports television. It's classy and it was buttoned up and it's Jim Nance and you know, everything is like very straightforward and professional. And then I went to MTV sports and that was like, look, that was like the, the inmates running the prison. Like there was no, we just ran around and, you know, guys like Larry Bird, we would show up and they would curse us out. John McEnroe, those old school classic athletes, they hated MTV, they hated us. So I went from like classic sports to just, you know, creating havoc with sports to then going in on kids sports. And, and, and the, the answer to your question is I showed up at a World Series media day and it was at the time when McGuire and Sosa we're going through their home run chase. Right? I remember. There's a big 30 for 30 on it now. And it was a steroid era, right? Everybody was on steroids. Bonds was on steroids, Palmero, Sosa, McGuire. It was running rampant in Major League Baseball. But because of this one home run chase, no one really talked about it, right? It was kind of like this elephant in the room. So we showed up at a World Series and we were there and it was the, I want to say it was the Yankees and the Braves. And everybody wanted to talk about, and I say everyone, I mean, I had Fox to the right of me. I had ESPN to the left of me. You know, I had like Keith Olbermann there and a couple other oh, wow. guys. And, and they're all there with their, you know, they're wearing their, their, their polos and they got their mics with their mic flag. And they're asking questions about, hey, you're in a contract year. You know, how much pressure do you feel in this postseason? And the next guy's like, hey, listen, you know, steroids, it's, it's this big thing in, in Major League Baseball right now. Would you take a test today? And then I'm there with like little Billy, you know, some little kid. And I'm like, excuse me, uh, how many laces are on a baseball? And they're like, what? Oh my God, I want to talk to the kid. And from that moment, that is a true moment. That was our question. We went in from a kid's perspective. We Everything we did looked through the lens of a child. So our question, our hard hitting question was, can you tell me how many laces are on a baseball? And when I did that, the athletes were like, oh my God. I don't have to talk about steroids. I don't have to talk about a contract. I can talk about something that a kid is interested in. And that was the beginning for me. That was my golden era. When I took a kid to, I think I did four Super Bowls. I did a ton of World Series. We went for about four or five years. And every time I showed up at a field, those athletes would go out of their way to find us. They were like, you could see them looking through all of the big network cameras and talent. And they'd be like, oh, hey, Nickelodeon right there. Hey, what do you, what do you got? They wanted to talk to us. So for me, the how many laces on a baseball, that was like, that's something like I'll put on my like, that'll be like on my tombstone somewhere. Because that was the question that broke everybody down, that separated us from them, and really took a lighthearted approach to sports. And the athletes loved it. So Is Caesar, there, yeah. I have a question for you. What's up? I'm going to teach you something in four seconds. Forget four minutes. How many laces are on a baseball? One. Nope. Well, that's, that's a good answer. And some people would say that. Like one no idea. goes through. There's yeah. actually a hundred and nine laces on a baseball. Okay. I guarantee you I will remember that fact for the rest of my life. Yes. Some some <laughs> books will say 108, most will say 109, but that's the stitching that goes around the ball. And you're right, yeah, it could be one thread, but there's a, there's 109 laces on the ball. That's funny. Good for you. That's that's awesome. All right. Is there anything you wanted to uh, bring up during the during the interview? Anything you wanted to 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 talk about, to plug anything? IG or YouTube channel or anything you do? Nah, you, you know what? Listen, I, I, I'll just tell you this. I, I, I'm not kidding when I say this. I, I, I consider myself very lucky. Um, and I am a, uh, I am truly loyal 
to the place that I work for, right? Bellator MMA for me, um, you know, if you're if you're looking at the, if you're reading the, the blogs and you're and you're on Instagram and you're reading all the comments, you know, like there's a lot of haters, there's a lot of MMA people who are like, it's all UFC, Bellator mm-hmm. the joke, blah, 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 blah. Okay, that's fine. You know, generally those are, you know, they're kids in, in their mother's basement that are just, they're haters and, and for whatever reason, that's what they want to say. And I get it, that's cool. But the only thing that I will just say is this, Scott Coker is, he's the president of Bellator. And this is a guy who's been in this, this business pretty much his whole life. And we are extremely lucky to work for a guy like that. I, I work directly under Scott and, and a guy named Scott Fishman in, in, in our, on the production side. I will tell you that these guys believe Bellator and the fighters believe Bellator and you get guys who come over like Ryan Bader and Benson Henderson and Cyborg. All of these fighters come over here and they're like, look, all we're doing is telling the other fighters to come here. Not only is it good for their personal brand, which I talked about before, but it's good for their, their bank account too, right? They're not tied to a Reebok sponsor deal. No one puts any restrictions on, on what they have on their shorts or on their shirts or what they say at the end of a fight. It's really a great place. They can make a good living. They, they are treated fairly. And just being a production guy, I, I'll tell you this, I would I would do this job till the day I can no longer work because it's the people that I work for and it's the company in which I that we all get paid by. To me, I smile every single day and uh, I get to travel every every other week or so and I go to a new venue with new crowds and new people. Obviously, there's no crowds right now, but you know, and you mentioned a guy like Michael Chandler, you get to become friendly with these guys. Chandler's a good friend of mine. And you mentioned the Eddie Alvarez fight. Everyone's like, where's Chandler gonna go? Is he going to go to the UFC? Is he going to sign that big deal? Is he going to stay at Bellator? Or is he going to go to one? And if he goes to one, he can chase the Alvarez trilogy fight. So yeah. I want to see that fight. Does Michael stay here and is Scott Coker working his magic behind the scenes? Next thing you know, Eddie Alvarez leaves one. He comes back to Bellator and Bellator gets to put on the third fight. We don't know what goes on behind those scenes. But that said, there's just something about the sport. There's something about the industry. And I, I have nothing but praise for the people that I work for. So, you know, whether you're following them on Instagram or you're watching them live and free on Paramount Network, you, you don't want to miss it, man. If you're a fight fan, you can't go wrong with Bellator. And I, I mean that. I'm a little biased, but I can't say it enough. This is the general consensus I've heard on Scott Coker. Everyone seems to only have positive things to say about him, as well as as well as well Bellator as an employer, uh, especially on the fighter side, which is really where the, the average fan makes the biggest investments in. Okay. Well, I think that is it. Thank you so much for the interview. I really appreciate it. Is there a website that you'd like to direct people to to find out more? Uh, nah, I'm not, I'm not really big on pumping myself. <laughs> but but uh, okay. yeah, man, go, go check out a Bellator event. You'll see me running around the floor. I'm cage side for every show. Go, you can find me there. <laughs> awesome. I kind of forgot that I was even being recorded. So well done. And, and it was really good talking to you, man. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Mike. Really appreciate yeah. it, man. All right. Well, that does it for this episode of Connections Cafe. I want to thank our guest, Mike Sarnowski, for sharing a little bit about what it takes to make it as a professional behind the scenes in MMA. As always, take care of yourself. Talk to you soon. Bye.